Okay, so first, this has nothing to do with what my message, but I want to tell you a story. So I guess this is kind of a trailer to probably a future sermon. So it's a trailer to the future presentation. I'll say it that way. <laughs> so last Sunday, we uh, helped, Bryce and I helped transport kids to camp. And um, our anniversary was June 15th, and I knew that uh, my daughter Chloe was going to meet the campers, be the girl sponsor. Um, she lives in Fayetteville, Arkansas. She was going to meet them at Camp Victory. We didn't want her driving here and then driving to camp and then driving back in here and then drive to Fayetteville because it was just a lot of miles on her car and just, you know, I didn't want her driving that much. So I wanted, I had this little plan in my mind that, hey, our anniversary is around that time. So, you know, maybe Bryce and I could drive the kids to camp and then stay and celebrate our anniversary and then pick the kids up from camp and drive home. But I didn't say anything to Bryce because... <laughs> He gets really nervous when I ask him to commit to things um, ahead of time. So I just kind of was like, I told Pastor Shelley we'd help drive the kids to camp on Sunday. So uh, anyway, so the Sunday before would be two weeks ago today. I go, I said, well, I said, you know, we're driving the kids to camp uh, next week. And I said, you know, pastors were going to pick the kids up, but with Pastor Eric's surgery, didn't think it was possible. I said, so we may have to drive back, um, on Wednesday and help bring him back. And he's like, well, I've been thinking, <laughs> I've been thinking, I've been thinking maybe we should just stay. And I mean, he didn't have to, I said, say less. <laughs> and I was on my phone booking an Airbnb immediately. And he was like, stay where you want. And I just, I travailed, I, I travailed over where I wanted to stay. Like I wanted peace and quiet so I could study for my message. But I thought maybe I want to lay by the pool too. You know, so I travailed. Well, I ended up booking this Airbnb. Didn't have a pool. Well, Sunday, we, she messaged me. You know, the storm had blown through last week, last Tulsa, Tulsa area last Saturday night. And she said, we don't have any power. And I said, well, we won't be there till this evening, so let's play it by ear. So long story short, camp didn't have power either. And um, we didn't end up leaving with the kids till early Monday morning. And I messaged the lady on our way Monday, and I said, hey, what's the status? Do we have power? And she said, no, we still don't have power. I was like, great. And I said, okay, well, keep me posted. So a couple hours went by, and she goes, There's, she messaged me and said, they're saying it could be Friday. And so I was like, okay. So I said, well, I guess we'll have to cancel. And so I start looking. Well, half of Tulsa was out of power. So every hotel that had power was completely booked, except for a Motel 6 that had rooms for $48, <laughs> and I wasn't willing to do that, okay? If you want to call me a hotel snob, fine, I'll own up to that. I wasn't willing to stay at a Motel 6 in a bad part of town to celebrate my anniversary. I just wasn't. <laughs> so we start looking outside of Tulsa, and we found this little Airbnb in a town called Oshaleda. It's 40 miles north of, of Tulsa, and it said it's a little cabin on a small farm, uh, a uh, acreage that had a pond and it said animals would come up to you. You could feed animals. And I was like, I think this is it. I think we want to do this. And Bryce said, that sounds great. I'll go get a fishing pole. I'll fish. You can study. And so we drove to Oshalata. Never been. 400 people live in this town. And God met us there. 
And I, I don't know what's wrong with me today. But I sat there, in this, it was just a tiny one-bedroom cabin. And I sat there and I overlooked the pond. And I'll be honest, you guys, I'm going to be very, very, very real. I was, I've been in a really dark place mentally and emotionally because I just have been tormented by hopelessness and disappointment, feeling like everyone else's life was moving forward. And Bryce and I were in a continual state of beating our head against the wall to try to get some doors open that we'd believe, believe in God for. And so I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to wallow in my self-pity. <laughs> I, I know I'm the only one who's ever done this. So uh, anyway, Pastor Virginia, is my mic going out? Okay. Pastor Shelley asked me to preach, and I was basically like, Look, I don't need to be speaking into these people's eyes. <laughs> I'll just be honest. So then Pastor Virginia spoke on January or June 4th, and she was like, Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Which, ironic enough, uh, is a scripture that I always tell my kids guard your heart. And I had stopped guarding my heart, and I had just let hopelessness, things are never going to change, things are never going to change, things are never going to change. I mean, just tormented me because I wasn't guarding my heart. And so your message set me free that day. And I sat back there and God said, are you going to preach your way out of this? Are you going to continue to wallow in self-pity? So after service, I went up to Pastor Shelley and I said, I will preach on June 25th. So I'm not up here as I got my life together and everything's good. And let me tell you these steps one, two, three on how to arrive like I have, because I've not arrived, <laughs> but I'm real and I know who I belong to. And I, I want to talk about Jesus today and I have cried more. I just, and I know that my revelation uh, not, is not necessarily your revelation, but I hope you get something from this. My heart is that you leave here changed and less weary than you came. Anyway, I, back to my anniversary story. God did something, and he He's, I was looking at that pond, and he reminded me of a dream, a vision that I had when Bryce and I were in our 20s. We had been, we fixed up to go to this, this event, and I had this vision, and I'm not going to share it because it's not time to share it yet, but, and I had given up on that, and God said, will you believe me again? And I said, yes, sir, I will. I will believe you again. So, storms in our life... The storms in Tulsa redirected Bryce and I's stay, but we ended up exactly where we needed to be. And that's a word. Yes, it was a pain. And, and I, don't, I mean, it was pain for thousands of people in Tulsa. But I'm telling you, he takes the storms of our life and he redirects us. They may push us into a different path, but they, it, they cause us to end up exactly where we need to be.
So close your eyes while I read this verse. Just, just focus on this, please. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Come to me. I'm going to have to grab a Kleenex. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are carrying burdens, and I will give you rest. The Amplified says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace, and I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. You know, Jesus was talking to a generation who had been taught the law. If you've ever read the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, the law that they were required to follow, it was burdensome and heavy. I mean, one stumble of your toe and you became unclean and you had to separate yourself until the priest made you clean again, till you slaughtered an animal and made yourself clean again. I mean, there were so many different kinds of offerings, offerings for intentional sin, offerings for unintentional sin. I mean, people were constantly trying to follow the law. That was heavy and burdensome. They could not do it. They proved to us it could not be done. So Jesus is coming and he's saying, he came to fulfill the law and to usher in grace. And he's saying, I have an easier way. He was saying, yoke up with me. The law is too heavy. It's too much of a burden. He's saying, surrender to me in my way. And yet we are not yoked up to the law anymore. But here we are 2,000 years later. And we are yoking up to so many different things. The world system. Constant competition. Constant work harder. Build yourself. Build your empire. A self-made system. Accumulating debt. Consumerism. I mean, people, it's just thrown at us constantly. Political partisanship, sin, hunger for man's approval, pain and hurt and disappointment of this life. These are all things that we yoke up to. And it's creating, what is it creating? It's creating very weary souls. Weary, tired, and broken souls. So Jesus is standing here today and he's saying, come to me. All who are weary, all who carry heavy burdens. What is burdening you today? What burdens are you carrying? Mothers, are you worried about your kids? 
Husbands, are you worried about how you're going to provide for your family? Are you has, Marriages that are, are in a vicious cycle of <sighs> resentment and bitterness. Young adults who are struggling with identity and purpose. There's so many kinds of burdens that this world is carrying. So I ask you, are you, is your soul tired? You're tired from worry and disappointment and fear and anxiety. You know, I have. I found myself yoked up with disappointment and hopelessness. When we yoke up with Jesus, you know, he says, my yoke is easy. That doesn't mean life will be easy. I don't want you to confuse that. And yoke, like, like, they had two oxen and they would yoke them together. And mo- a lot of times they had a younger ox. They would yoke it up with an older, more experienced ox that would teach the younger ox how to plow the fields. Because they were yoked together. The young ox could not escape. He was following the bigger ox. Wherever the big ox went, he went. If we yoke up with Jesus, Jesus is teaching us how to plow our fields. He's teaching us how to sow seeds. He's teaching us. We have got to be yoked up to him. It's, the verse says, let me teach you. Let me teach you. Jesus wants to teach us how to go through the hard things in life. And it just, you know, I just feel like we have to get back to the main thing. You know, it's not, it's not bad Please don't misunderstand me. It's not bad to believe God for things. It's not bad to talk, to want miracles and, and want blessings and, and desires of your heart. Those things are not bad. But if you put that above Jesus, it's when we get things construed and out of place. We have to seek his face before we seek his hand. So let's go to John chapter 4. And this, this story has been preached on probably 10,000 times, but today it's going to be 10,001. <laughs> Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and she said to Jesus, and Jesus said to her, sorry, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus said, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So I know you've all heard this story, but I'm just going to, I want to point out some things that, that the Lord spoke to me and ministered to me about through this story. So verse 4, it says, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go. Well, did you, we've always heard that the Jews despise the Samaritans. But do you know why? It goes back to 2 Kings when uh, the, northern, the northern kingdom of Israel was exiled because they weren't following God's rules, the law, and the northern kingdom the northern kingdom's capital was Samaria, and it fell to the Assyrians. So the intermarriage between the Assyrians and the remaining Jews resulted in a mixed race called the Samaritans. And the pure Jews hated this mixed race because they felt that their fellow Jews had betrayed their people and nation by marrying and having children with foreigners. So most Jews, they hated Samaritans so much Samaria was right in the middle between Judea and Galilee. Most Jews would travel the long way around to get to Galilee or Judea. They would not go through Samaria. But Jesus, it says, I think it's interesting, it says, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go. Why did he have to go? He had an appointment with someone that he knew he had to be at. And I want to tell you that Jesus will make an appointment with you that you don't even know that you need. He will make an appointment and he will show up and, and completely change the path of your day. He, he is making appointments with your kids. He is making appointments with your spouses. He is making appointments with family members. He is making appointments that you know nothing about. And he is going to go through the darkest places. He's going to go to the, through the despised places to keep that appointment. So verse 6 says, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Jesus got weary too. Isn't that comforting to know that Jesus got weary? Yeah, he had walked a long ways, but he got weary. Jacob's well was on the property originally owned by Jacob. Wells were almost always located outside of the city along the main road. And twice each day, morning and evening, women came to draw water. Here was Jacob's well, and this is just a little side note. Jacob's well was, uh, was providing for generations, future generations. Generations. 
It had provided for generations to come. Generation and generation and generation. What are we doing? What kind of well are we building that will provide for generations to come? And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Some of you may not know, but I'm expecting my first grandchild by the end of this year. Um, my son got married a few months ago, and he did not waste any time. <laughs> but I've been thinking about that. What well are we digging that my children's children and their children can come to and find refreshment, can come to as an oasis. What are we building? And I'm not talking about physical empires. That's part of it. But what kind of spiritual well are we digging that future generations can come to and find refreshment? Because I'm telling you, there is a generation of young people that desperately need the living water that Jesus has to offer. Desperately, more than any other generation. I say this young generation, my college kids, their generation, my middle schooler, dear Jesus, the middle school is a wild west. If I've ever seen one. Kids in the sixth grade, they don't know what gender they want to be. They don't know if they, if they like boys or girls. I mean, they decide on a whim what they're going to do because they just want to be loved. What kind of well are we, are we digging to serve future generations? But let's go back. Jesus was waiting there at noon, knowing full well that the tradition and the, the schedule was women came in the morning and they came at noon. I mean, in the evening. They didn't come at noon. But he showed up at noon. Why would he show up at noon? Because go back to that appointment. He knew he had an appointment with someone. Jesus will show up at unexpected times, at unplanned times, at times that don't make sense to anybody else. He's waiting on us. So verse 7 and 8, it says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. So a lone woman coming at noon. Why did she come at noon? When every other woman in the village came in the morning and the evening, why did she come at noon? Because she was embarrassed and she was in shame. She came at noon because of shame. She wanted to avoid people. She didn't want to hear the whispers. She didn't want to see the pointing fingers. She didn't want to, to feel the judgmental stares, the looks of disapproval. She was yoked up with shame, and it was weighing her down and keeping her in hiding. You know, shame is different than guilt. Let's talk about this just a little bit. Shame makes us direct our focus inward and view our entire self in a negative light. And feelings of guilt, they result in a concrete action for which we accept responsibility. So guilt causes us to focus on attention on the feelings of others, how we've hurt others. Shame causes us to focus our attention on ourselves. So, for example, someone got super drunk and showed up late to work. 
the next morning because they, they couldn't get up and go to work. So a shame-prone person would say, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I can't get my life together. Why would I do that? I just don't know why I can't, I can't do anything right. Why would I do that? I'm such a loser. I'm never going to be better. I'm never going to do something different. I'm never going to get out of this. A guilt-prone person would say, man, I really messed up. I feel really badly because I inconvenienced my coworkers. And then they make, they take action to uh, rec- recompense what they did wrong, to, to bring restitution. But shame, guilt, guilt will cause us to, yeah, I feel bad. I messed up. I yelled at you. I said that I shouldn't. I apologize. Will you please forgive me? Shame causes us to go into a downward spiral of self-hatred and loathing, worthlessness, defeat. Shame entered earth at the fall of man. Adam and Eve ate the tree of knowledge, and what happened? The word says their eyes, their eyes were opened, and they felt shame at their nakedness. And immediately, they tried to hide from God. So shame causes us not to just hide from others like this woman was doing. She was going in the heat of the day to draw water because she was hiding from others because of her shame. Shame causes us to hide from God. It's a dark, dark place to be. This is where this woman is. I want you to think of it from her point of view. She was so full of shame. She was hiding. And you know, so many of, there's so many easy ways to hide it in today's world. I mean, you can hide behind your social media page. You can portray a life completely different than what you're living. It's true, right? You can hide behind Netflix, turn on a show, binge watch it, binge watch it. I don't have to think about anything else because I have one episode after another just keeping me in hiding. Kids are hiding. We, sometimes we hide behind our own kids in our homes, in our education. We hide behind our education. We hide behind our gifts and abilities. We're just the woman at the well who came at noon to avoid the others. It may look different, but if you're hiding behind social media, you're just like the woman at the well. We avoid so much of life, and we avoid hiding by others. We avoid others by hiding. So shame is an internal conflict, and it's very damaging. It is a nasty voice that tells us we're no good, worthless, a loser. You know, there's scientific studies. Science takes spiritual things out of it, but just science for a minute. Scientific, I read a scientific study that showed that shame will lead you to depression, anxiety, even disease and sickness. Autoimmune. A lot of autoimmune disorders are caused by shame. Think about it. You hate yourself so much. You feel so ashamed. You hate self-loathing. So what does your body do? Autoimmune starts attacking itself. I'm not saying that that's every case. But if you suffer from autoimmune, I mean, ask God. Is there shame in me? Is there a part of myself that I hate so much that's causing this? The, the woman was crippled with shame, but then she met Jesus. Jesus was there waiting for her, and you know what? She couldn't hide from him because he showed up right when he knew she was going to show up. 
Now, I think it's interesting that John points out that Jesus was alone at this time. Because no respectable man, no respectable Jewish man would have been talking to, number one, a Samaritan. And number two, a woman with her reputation. And especially, number three, at a public place. So Jesus was breaking all kinds of social constructs and rules in this incident. He didn't come for water. He came for her. She was the reason he traveled through Samaria while it was against the Jewish norm. She was the reason he broke social protocols. He went against the acceptable conduct of the day to meet her at the well. Jesus will meet you at the well. Jesus will meet you at your time of hiding. It may not be shame for all of us. I don't necessarily, I've never, never really suffered from shame, but I, I love people dearly who have. And I've seen how it affects them. But maybe we're struggling with anxiety and worry, with anger addiction, whatever you've yoked up to, Jesus wants to meet you at the well, at your place of hiding, at the time and the place where you go to hide. Jesus wants to meet you there. And it may break all social constructs. It may make no sense to the social rules of the day. That is the kind of Jesus that we have. That's the kind of Jesus he is. Verses 9 through 14 The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you a living and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So the Greek verb for springing up that's used in this translation is halome. And it's never used for inanimate objects such as water. It's only, only used when applied to a living creature or a person. It means jumping or leaping up. This is the only time it is used to be applied to water. So it is a living water. Living water. (laughs) We cannot wrap our human minds around it, but it is alive. The water that Jesus offers us is alive, and it is a gushing well inside of us. When we drink, it becomes a gushing well, not only for us, but to spew on all those around us. It is a living water, a well that wants to, to, to rise up on the inside of you. That's the kind of water he's offering her. But she doesn't understand. She's like, well, you don't have a rope or a bucket. How are you? I mean, what? this doesn't make sense. And, and she's like, but I want it. I don't want to ever come draw water. Because she's thinking, if I never have to draw water again, then I don't have to ever see anybody. I can hide in my house and in my shame, and I don't have to leave. 
And then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, go get your husband. And I pondered on why Jesus would say that at that time. She's like, yeah, give me the living water because I don't want to come here and draw water. She's still thinking he's talking physical water. And he says, go get your husband. And then she was like, well, uh, I I don't have a husband. And then he just kind of, you know, reads her mail. Kind of what we fear some prophet's going to do. And we, you know, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're married to now is not your husband. You know what he was doing? A lot of times we read this and we think, well, he was pointing out her sin. But I read it a different way. He was pointing out her thirsty soul. Because she had just said, oh, give me this water. I don't ever want to come draw water. And she was still in a physical frame of mind. And Jesus reminds her, you are thirsty in a way that you don't know how to quench. But I do. I know how to quench your thirsty soul. He doesn't only point out her sin. He points out the why. Why she is sinning. Why she is living in sin. Why she has been married five times. You guys, I mean, that's unheard of in today's world. But back then, five husbands and then living with someone. I mean, we would even be like, okay, guys, get your act together. If you can't make five marriages work. I mean, you know. We, he points out her sin, but he points it out in a way to say, this is why you need me. This is why you need the living water because your soul is thirsty. You can't do it on your own. There is a big cultural lie that I hear all the time. I read it on a weekly basis if I'm on social media. And it says, you are enough. You are enough. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I am not enough. And you are not enough. And that is okay. And I know... Let me explain, because I know some of you are like, what? I have to do better, be better? No. I know what their intention is. They mean well. When when people say this, they mean well. But what they really should say is, you are loved perfectly and completely just like you are. You are. It's true. God loves you so much. He loved me when I was wallowing in my self-pity. He loved me. He doesn't love me any more now that I'm up here speaking to you than he loved me when I was eating raw cookie dough and watching Netflix. I'm being being serious, guys. He loves me. But I am not enough. That is why, that is why I need Jesus. He completes me. Yes, I'm going to say it, just like Jerry Maguire movie. He completes me. He completes me. Without Jesus, you can ask my kids and my husband. I am a wretched being. I am selfish. I am impatient. I have a temper. 
I mean, I guess I'm the only one. You are not enough, and you never will be. That is why God sent Jesus. That is why Jesus was at the well at noon, because he knew that woman was not enough. Her soul was thirsty, and she couldn't figure it out. She couldn't figure it out. She had, she had gone from man to man to man to man to man to man to try to figure it out, to try to quench this thirst inside of her that God alone can quench, that God alone can satisfy. There is a gaping hole in all of us that can only be filled with Jesus. You guys, I'm serious. What Jesus did on the cross he completes us. But without that, without that, we will never be enough. We will never be enough. I mean, humankind is depraved and wicked when we are left to our own devices. We will do anything to feed our flesh, to satisfy our needs. I'm telling you, I could tell you some stories. My son Cole just graduated from nursing school. Some of these stories I cannot share from the pulpit <laughs> because it, it just shows what mankind will do to feed their flesh and to try to quench their thirsty soul. And then they end up in the hospital for it. But a few weeks ago, I was on the phone with him and he was kind of going through I was kind of talking him off the ledge because he was super stressed about school and about finances and just about a lot of things. And, and he said to me, he goes, but you know what? He said, I cared for a 26-year-old woman who was dying of cirrhosis of the liver today. And he said, it changed my perspective. And I thought, 26? 26? And she already has cirrhosis of the liver from drinking. Do you know how much a 26-year-old has to drink to have cirrhosis of the liver? Her soul is thirsty. There is not one alcoholic or drug addict that takes their first beer or takes their first hit of drugs and thinks, I'm going to take this and ruin my life. There is not one porn addict that watches this and goes, I'm going to destroy my marriage with this. No, we get in a place where our souls are thirsty and we feel so much hurt and we feel so much emptiness that we reach for whatever we can find in that instant to try to fill ourselves and to quench that thirstiness on the inside of us. And then we're trapped. And then we find ourselves in the hospital with liver failure at 26 years old. 26 Jesus is the answer. And we have to be like Jesus if we want people to know that he is the answer. It's, it's not enough for him to be the answer for me. Yeah, it's enough for me. But is that really what we're here for? Is just so that I can take care of myself? 
Oh, I'm, I'm covered. I believe in Jesus. You guys, there is a world out there hurting that need, desperately need the answer of Jesus. He is the only real solution. He is the only real answer. And this time is going so fast. When Jesus points out here sin, he also, he's pointing out the why. And why don't we start doing that? When we see people in their sin, we question, but why are they doing that? It may change the way you view people. Why are they doing that? Maybe you don't know they were abused as a child. And that's their coping mechanism. Maybe you don't know that they're married to a big jerk and that's their coping mechanism. Ask yourself why. When you see someone that, why are they destroying their lives like that? Ask, them, ask yourself, but why? Why are they doing that? Because their souls are thirsty. So Jesus stands before her later on in chapter 4. When he points at her sin, she tries to change the subject. She's like, oh, well, you must be a prophet. But tell me why. Tell me why Samaritans say you can worship here and, and we're supposed to. She tries to change the subject. Because she feels awkward. Oh, this man just pointed out everything I've done. I feel awkward. Let's change the subject. But he just keeps on. And in verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who was called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. He stands before her and he says, I am he. I am the one you've been looking for. I am the one who can quench the nagging thirst in your soul. I alone can satisfy. I alone can heal your wounds. I am the way. I am he. He's saying this. I am he. So you know what she does? In verse 28, it says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see the man who told me everything I have ever done. She went from a woman who didn't want to see people because she was so ashamed to one encounter with Jesus. And she's saying, come see the man who told me everything I had done. Her shame had just completely dissipated. She was shouting out, I've lived in sin, but come tell me the man who told me about it and saved me and offered me this living water. One encounter with Jesus. One encounter, one appointment at the well at an unexpected time. She was running through the crowd saying, come and see the man. And because she said, come and see the man who's told me everything I'd, I've done. The word says that others were like, oh, well, she is. She does have a bad reputation. So let's go. Let's go check this man out who, who pointed out all her faults. And because of her story, many other Samaritans believed. I'm almost done.
But it's interesting that she left her water jar. What she had came for, she left because she had found something so much better. How many of us are chasing something that we, we think we need? I mean, obviously you need water to survive. So she really did need water. But Jesus, he, he trumps even the physical needs that we need to survive. He is enough. And she left her jar, what she, what she came there looking for, she left because she had found so much better. And I know that whatever you're looking for, God is saying, but I have so much better. I have something so much better. Finally, in verse 40 through 42, it says, now we believe, not just because of what you told us. These are the people, the other Samaritans, talking to this woman at the well. Now we believe, because they begged Jesus to stay. I skipped over that part. When they heard about this man who would, had, had read this woman's mail and changed her life in an instant, they saw the change in her, and they said, Oh, please, Jesus, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he did, and it says, they are telling this woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. I can experience Jesus all day long. And I can tell you about my experience with Jesus. And you may believe me. You may be like, wow, she's changed. <laughs> yes, Jesus. <laughs> There's a lot you can help us with. <laughs> but when you experience Jesus for yourself, that's when it gets real. And I... I've, I've followed Jesus since I was 10 years old. I remember the red dress and the heart chain necklace I was wearing when I walked down the aisle with my sister and I, I gave my life to Jesus. And I felt him then. And I've walked with him every day of my life. Have I made bad choices? 1,000%. But I've always came back to him. I've always known he was there. I've never walked away and turned my back on him. Have I ignored his voice? Yeah. I've experienced Jesus. But I want others to experience him for themselves. Maybe, I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know most of you have experienced Jesus. But let's get back to a place where we are in awe of what he's done for us. Because you know what? He does not owe us one more thing. Jesus does not owe us a thing. He already did his job. He paid the price. If God never answers another one of my prayers, Jesus is enough. If God doesn't ever do another thing for me, Jesus is enough.
And I, I committed to, about a year ago, I committed to that, Jesus, you're enough. And I, I got away from that because I was, God did not move on my timetable. And so I thought, because I had a time, I had a timeline in my head. Okay, I realized now, hindsight, I didn't know I was doing this at the time, but I thought, okay, Jesus, you're enough. But this better happen <laughs> by a, a year from now or... And so I found that year mark creeping up and I just started falling apart. He's bringing me back to my first love. Jesus was my first love besides my dad. Jesus was my first love and he's bringing me back to that. What do you think we sing about Jesus today? Because Jesus is enough. If he's, if he's not enough, nothing ever will be. And yes, I want you to pray and believe God and ask him for things because he's a good, good father and he gives us the desires of our hearts. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. But I want to get back to a place where we are seeking his face instead of his hand. And if he doesn't do anything for me, He's done enough. He saved me from my wretched self. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. In closing, I, I have a song that I want Justin to play. I've asked him to play. and It's called Take It to Jesus. And I, I just want you to, it's, it's four minutes long. I, I just want you to use this song, during this song, just whatever you're carrying, whatever, whatever is making you weary, whatever burdens you're carrying, I'm asking you to encounter Jesus today. He is here. He wants to set you free from, from shame from, from condemnation, from worry, from the what ifs to, and the if onlys, if only I had done that, from the, from the regret, oh my gosh, regret is a big one. Jesus wants to set you free. Will you let him, will you let him set you free? Let's take it to Jesus this morning. Let's, let's play this song, and, and if you want to come up here, Fine, if you want to stay at your seat and just worship, let's, let's take it to Jesus today. Jesus, you are so good. You are everything we need. You alone satisfy us. You alone can remove the burdens and the weight of this world. We love you, Jesus, and we just want to thank you. We want to come back to our first love. We want to come back to being in a place where we're so in awe of you. And we're so thankful for the price that you paid.
I have to give it to Jesus every single day. Those thoughts, big, ugly emotions, jealousy and anger, big, ugly emotions. I have to say, no, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. I know we're, I know I ran over time and I'm sorry, but I just, if there's anyone here who's never given your heart to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity. Or maybe you've been one foot in and one foot out. It's time to go all in with Jesus because there's a world out there that needs him. And he alone is the answer. So I'm going to just pray a blessing over you. But if there's anyone who who needs prayer, I'll be glad to pray. And I know Pastor Virginia will help and and anyone else. um, We just, we want your needs to be met today. and, And Jesus alone can do that. But we'd be more than happy to pray for you. God, I just thank you for these people. I thank you that you love them so much. You love them so, so much that you gave your only son who paid the price that would would complete us, that would quench our hungry and thirsty souls. Help us to walk each and every day with the price that you paid in mind, that we would walk every day trying to learn from you, that we are yoked up with you, and we are learning from you, from your humble and gentle heart. We are learning how to be more like you so that we can point to the world, look at this wonderful Savior. You're not enough, but it's okay because Jesus is. God, let this, let that be our anthem. We love you, Jesus, and we just thank you for an incredible time in your presence this morning. We take it to you, Jesus, today and every day. Bless these people today and this week, Father. Help them to just be like you and shine your light everywhere they go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.